Welcome to Happy Talks with Dr. Alice and Donovan. Dr. Alice Fong is a holistic naturopathic doctor and founder of Amour de Soi Wellness. And Donovan Jensen is a software engineer and founder of HowToHappy.com. Together, they're out to cause more happiness in the world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Happy Talks. My name is Dr. Alice, and this is my awesome co-host, Donovan. And today... I have the honor to introduce a special guest, Terry Tucker, who is the founder of Motivational Check and the author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Please welcome Terry. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Dr. Alice Donovan, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you both today. Of course. Yeah, we're looking forward to it as well. So let's dive in. And why don't you start by telling us a little about your story and what led you to doing it, what, what it is that you're doing? <laughs> yeah, I, what am I doing? That's kind of thing. I, I sort of look, look back at my resume. I, I've had numerous jobs. I, I started out after college um, where I, you can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall wow. uh, and, and played basketball <laughs> in college. So, you know, I sort of joke, I have a brother who's six foot seven who pitched for Notre Dame, another brother who's six foot six who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. <laughs> and then my dad was six five. So I sort of joke that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayer's chance you were going to see anything that was going on uh, in, in front of you. But graduated from college, I went to college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, moved home to find a job. I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to help people find employment. Mm. I did find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain in their marketing department. Mm. That was the good news. The bad news is I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, professionally, as I said, started out marketing with Wendy's, moved into healthcare administration, then made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And I know you're going to laugh at this, but yes, for three and a half years, I was an undercover narcotics investigator at six foot eight. And then I was also a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Oh, cool. Start, started my own school security consulting business, coach girls, high school basketball, Um Started a motivational speaking business right in the middle of the pandemic, which was probably not the brightest thing to do. Uh, and then published my first book in 2020. But for the last 10 years, I've been dealing with a rare form of cancer uh, that has seen the amputation of my left foot in 18 and my left leg in 2020. And then I guess finally, my wife and I have been married for 29 years. We have one child, a daughter who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Wow, extraordinary There's, life. <laughs> so pick a rabbit hole. Which one would you like to go down? <laughs> I was going to say there are a number of places that we could explore. I think uh, this might be too broad, so feel free to rein me in if it is. But uh, it sounds like you've done a number of different things and had success in a number of fields. So the place that my mind goes is sort of what are the, the guiding sort of principles or like the overarching structure that you're using to sort of make some of these decisions and move through life and, and be successful in, in this myriad of realms? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I mean, a lot of things have really helped me. I, I talk about uh, my three Fs, which are really certainly these have gotten me through these last 10 years with cancer, which are faith, family and friends. 
But what I really think I've, I've been able to sort of codify is what I call my four truths. And, and, and I call them my four truths. They're not mine. I don't own them. They're not copyrighted or anything like that. I don't think you can, you can own a truth. But there's something that I guess I feel is sort of the bedrock of my soul. They're just a good place to, to build a foundation and to build a quality life off of. And I'll give them to you. I'm on a post-it note here in my office. They're one sentence each. The first one is control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one is more of a, I guess, a legacy truth, for lack of a better word. And it's what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is, I think, pretty self-explanatory, as long as you don't quit you can never be defeated. So I use those to help me make decisions in my life. Am I going to go on this treatment? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? And, and in addition to the three F's and so far it's gotten me this far and I'm pretty happy with them. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Those are definitely some, some great principles to live by. Uh, but let's, let's dive into maybe like uh, the first one, a little more in depth, control your mind or it will control you. Like, what do you mean by that? And how does that, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah, that, so when I was um, in high school, I had three knee surgeries and, and I learned this truth kind of early, I think in my life. And I remember when I went back playing basketball, my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind. You know, things like, hey, you're probably a step slower since these surgeries and coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you to play for their schools. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of playing for their college or university. I realized I had to change the narrative that was going on in my mind. Now, it's estimated, and I've read several articles on this, you know, we have anywhere between 60 and 100,000 thoughts that pass through our mind every single day, many of which we don't even pay attention to. But your mind can only hold one thought at a time. Why would you want to make that a negative thought? I, I, I know I'm a little bit older than probably your audience, but when I was growing up in Chicago, Bobby Knight was the basketball coach at Indiana University. And he used to have a great saying and it was, it was a very simple saying. He said, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this great coach teaching elite athletes at the University of Indiana. How do you, you know, be great basketball players by using their bodies? But what he's really saying with that quote is your mind or your mindset is four times more important than anything that your physical body is going to do. So, you know, I think we need to really be careful of the thoughts that we put into our mind because we all become what we think. So I'm going to keep drilling in on this concept a little really? bit more. Let's say, uh, well, well, we'll keep with the example that you've opened up, right? Let's say, you know, you just had uh, this thought of, um, you know, I'm not going to get recruited or, or people aren't going to be interested. From that spot, what would you say is sort of like the method or strategy that you use to either, I don't know if you're dissolving it, if you're introducing something else, if you're saying like, you know what, this, this is, you know, I don't want to listen to this. I'm curious where you would take something like that. 
I, I think the first thing you do, and, and, and we're great about beating ourselves up. It's like, you know, something negative came into my thought. Oh, my gosh, I'm a terrible person for thinking that. No, it's okay. We all have negative thoughts that pass through our minds. It's, it's not like, I mean, you're looking at me right now. There's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cape. I mean, I don't have any kind of special powers or anything like that. So I think the first thing you need to do is recognize that that thought is there. And don't make it a big deal. It's like, okay, that's a negative thought. That doesn't make me a bad person because I have a negative thought but then change that thought into something positive, change it into something different. I remember there was a, and I don't even, I don't know if this story is true, but it's certainly a good story that I think might, might uh, bring this sort of a little bit more clarity it is that a coach wanted to improve the free throw shooting percentage of his team. So he took half his players and he had them shoot 50 free throws after practice every day. And then he took the other half and all they did was sit on the bench, close their eyes, and in their mind, see themselves shooting free throws. And it turns out at the end of the season, the players that actually saw themselves shooting free throws every single day, as opposed to the ones that actually shot the free throws, the ones that saw themselves had a better shooting percentage than the ones who actually shot, shot the, the, the free throws. And I remember reading an article, and, and I don't, I have no medical background, so I'm, I'm not going to try to butcher the part of the brain where this exists. But the part of the brain that scientists have studied that lights up when you shoot free throws, when you're making those neural connections, when you're when those synapses are firing, is the same part of the brain that lights up when you think about doing that as well. So I think that's why it's incredibly important that we manage our thoughts, that if you let that negative thought keep pulsing in your brain, you're going to create synapses. And pretty soon, yeah, you know, I, don't, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't. Well, pretty soon, you're not going to be able to do that because your brain's going to be telling you, hey, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. I'd be curious how, what if he also did where people practiced the free throws and the, the the mental like what yeah. mind blowing <laughs> results could that produce? That would be pretty cool. Cover all your bases, absolutely. <laughs> know, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, let's let's look explore these other truths. And I one of the things I want to explore with you is like how how I mean any or all of these truths kind of helped you through your cancer journey. Yeah, I, the, you know, cancer for me was, I, I was totally hit right between the eyes. I have a, I have a rare form of melanoma that appeared on the bottom of my foot. Uh, you know, most people think of melanoma as sort of a skin disease, you know, where you're too much exposure to the sun. And, and again, I'll tell you how old I am. When we had acne and would go to the dermatologist, they would put us under a sun lamp to try to get rid of the acne, not having any idea that yeah. they were just causing that much more, <laughs> more, more damage. And, and, you know, I mean, Hey, you you learn people improve. We have more data and things My like that. But, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the second truth, and I think this is one that I, I've certainly had a lot of, uh, I was on a drug called interferon for five years. I took a weekly injection it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And, and that was not a cure for my cancer. That was a, 
as my oncologist used to say, we're trying to kick the can down the road to buy you some more time. And, and I'll be honest with you, there were days during those interferon therapies where I, I prayed to die. I was so sick of being sick that it was just, come on, God, I, I'm done with this. And I didn't obviously die, but I had to deal with that pain. And, you know, I, I've always been an athlete. I, I was in law enforcement. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty much a type A individual. And so now it's like, well, I've got to win the day. Sometimes winning the day is winning this five minutes. I've just got to get out of bed today and make it to the couch. That's winning the day. I know it's not sexy. It's not, you know, something that, oh, hey, you know, look, he aspired to get out of bed. But when you when you're that sick, I mean, we've all had the flu. I mean, just imagine having the flu all the time and, and doing it year after year after year, but not having a cure. And I ended up actually in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees because of the toxicity of the interferon. I had to stop the drug. The cancer came back in the exact same spot on my foot almost immediately after stopping the interferon. That necessitated having my, or my foot amputated in 18. And then in 2020, I had an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area that grew large enough that it fractured my tibia. And my only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated. My wife literally dropped me off at the hospital. You know, I was the only surgery that day. It, it was, you know, it, it was just, it was like having your head spin. It's like, what do you mean I'm the only person here? What do you mean I'm going to be here for 48 hours as opposed to the week that I should be here to learn how to function without a leg? And it was just like, you, it's COVID, deal with it, you know, figure it out. And, and so you do what you do that. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm getting around to your second point. <laughs> so of, of using that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger person, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the, the status quo, the way things are right now is comfortable and familiar and should just be left alone. But the problem with that is the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to get better, the only way we're going to improve is if we step outside those comfort zones and we do things that make us uncomfortable. So what I'm suggesting with that, with that uh, principle or that uh, truth is that instead of running from pain, you take it. You take that pain, you flip it inside, you burn it as fuel, you use it as energy to make you more resolute. So one of the things that I've been hearing as you're talking um, for these first two points is sort of this, this idea of like, instead of getting hooked into the thing, recognizing what it is and sort of changing the narrative around it. And specifically on this embracing pain piece, um, you know, I think for most people, it's probably easier for the things that are less painful, right? So, uh, you know, if I don't get a job or something, um, it's probably a little bit easier to go like, okay, I got a learning experience from this interview, et cetera, et cetera. I would be curious if you found anything that was extra helpful to you as you faced sort of these larger, more painful difficulties, right? Because I think things like what you've described that you've been through are sort of the things where people can, even if they're good at some of the smaller pieces, end up not really being able to embrace or being stuck sort of in these mindsets that are really negative um, because the the scope of the pro problem is a lot bigger. So I'd be curious if you found anything that uh, helped you or if you felt like it was sort of a muscle that you built up over time, um, but how you were able to sort of 
gain control of that narrative instead of sort of just drop into the abyss of uh, feeling feeling down on yourself. Yeah, I actually, and, and I, I still do this. I try to do this every day of my life. I try to do one thing every day that makes me nervous, that makes me uncomfortable, that scares me, that's potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, I, I, I hate going to the dentist, but the other day I picked up the phone and made my six month appointment. And, you know, it's like, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, when you hate going to the dentist, it, it is sort of a little bit of a big deal. But if you do those small things, if you do those uncomfortable things in life every day, when, when I was coaching high school basketball, I used to always remind my players, you need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. I mean, my practices were all about making them as uncomfortable as I possibly could, not to get them to fail, but to have them realize that, hey, yeah, you're uncomfortable, but look what you did. You know, I mean, we, we work together as a team. Look what you did. And so I always try to do, and, and I recommend this to audiences, to you guys, just do something uncomfortable every single day of your life. Because when the big things in life hit, and they hit all of us, you know, we lose somebody who's close to us, we get let go from our job, we find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those things when they present themselves. Yeah, I totally yeah. concur with that. <laughs> Absolutely. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, I mean, growth only happens through getting out of your comfort zone and exploring things that will like push you and be a little like can be painful sometimes, you know, even I, I think of putting your heart on the line for a new relationship and opening up and being vulnerable. That's risky and it's scary. And you could, yeah, you could get your heart broken, but Hey, the benefits, <laughs> like you could also have an amazing, loving, more enriching relationship. So absolutely. Yeah, Life is about chances. Life is about choices. You know, you, you have, one of the things when I go to therapy and I, I still have therapy for the tumors in my lungs is do I have to go or do I get to go? Mm. And I think it's all how you look at it. And I think one of the things that I learned as part of team sports, you know, started playing basketball when I was nine years old and played all the way up till I graduated from college is what team sports taught me was the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you realize on a team that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. So, you know, like I said, I, I have bad days. I mean, I don't, I don't want your audience to think, you know, I, I've got all the answers. I've got, all, I, I don't have all the answers. I mean, I, I have bad days. I cry, I get down. I feel sorry for myself, but when I do, you know, when we do that, when we're in those, we're looking inward. It's like, oh, you know, woe is me. It's all about me and all that. Kind of, and I find the easiest way to get over that is to start looking outward, start trying to find somebody that you can make a difference in their life, somebody that you can help. And, and in a way, I'm kind of lucky in that regard because I'm at the hospital so much for treatment. I can always find somebody that's a whole lot worse off than I am that, you know, maybe just needs somebody to say hi to them or, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. I've been thinking as you were talking, um, this is a little bit of a topic shift, but you know, the, the, the physical challenges that you mentioned, it sounds like have, have come up in, in the past few years for you. And it sounds like your background has been littered with things that are physically demanding. So I would be curious if you had sort of built up the tools over time. Cause right now, 
and like you said, I'm sure you have off days, but right now, the way you're talking about it, the your your energy, your demeanor, all that seems really good and strong and positive. So I'd be curious if you'd already built up a lot of tools to help you through that transition or sort of what that experience was like, because I imagine that had to have impacted your identity in a way. Maybe not. I could be completely off, but uh, I know for me, like I also like to do a lot of physical things, have a lot of like physicality built into my life. And I know when I had like a temporary setback of a broken collarbone, like that took me, uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't permanent, but it was still enough to sort of shake up my psyche. So I would just be curious what that sort of transition process was like for you. Yeah, it wasn't easy. I, I actually had a nurse recently ask you, you know, what was it like to have your foot amputated and then realize you had to have your, your leg amputated. And I told her, I said, you know, it certainly hasn't been easy. It's been two years since my leg amputation. I'm still learning how to walk again with the prosthetic. I'm, I'm not there. I don't trust the prosthetic. It's a great prosthetic. I just, I just don't trust it, you know, enough. And, and basically what I told her is that, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. You know, that's who you both are. This is just a, a house or a vessel or whatever you want to call it that houses who we really are. And, and we get all hung up on, you know, how do I look or how's my hair? or I don't have a leg or I don't, you know, you know a lot of it is, has been fun. You know, fun's not the right word, but humor has been an incredibly important part. I remember when I had my leg amputated, I was, and I use this term loosely, walking towards the exit to the hospital. And this woman was staring incredibly hard at me. And I, I you know, I just, I, I had this thought in my mind. And so when I walked up to her, I just looked at her and I said, don't worry, it'll grow back. And I kept walking <laughs> and I turned around and she had this look on her face like, will it? Will I, I mean, is this kind of like a salamander or something like that? You know, you take off a tail, it'll grow back kind of thing. But you have to realize that, you know, your physical body is what your physical body is, but who you are is your heart, your mind, and your soul. If you keep that in mind, it's a little bit, at least for me, it's a little bit easier to deal with the fact that I'm not nearly as mobile and I can't nearly as do, do as many of the things that I did through most of my life. Mm. Yeah. We actually had a, a guest in the past who had lost her arm through, I think, a car accident. And she was telling us how, like, you know, for a long time, she was super bitter about it and was like hating life. And then she um, finally like hit hit the rock bottom by ending up in jail from anger <laughs> and acting out essentially. Did you did you go through that initially and you worked through it or or like what was that process like for you? Yeah, when I found out I had cancer, I, I had gone, as I mentioned, I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot. And after a few weeks of it not healing, I went to see a podiatrist friend of mine mm -hmm. and he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It's just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. You know, no dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was trying to explain to me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming mm -hmm. until finally he just kind of hit me right between the eyes with it. He said, Tara, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have this rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet and the palms of the hands. 
And when I heard that, I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief. You know, first it was denial. It's like, wait a minute, I, I've done everything right in my life. I can't possibly have cancer. And, and you know, and then you get mad and then you sort of bargain with God and, and you get down a little bit. And then I just got to the point where, you know, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace the suck. I'm going to have to, you know, take these cards that I've been dealt that I do not like and play them to the best of my ability. And, you know, like I say, there are days I have really good days where I'm up, I'm positive and things are great. And then there are days I feel sorry for myself. And and I'll give you a quick story here about a professor back in the 1950s at Johns Hopkins University who did an experiment with rats. I know you're like, really? He's going to tell a rat story now? Yes, I'm going to tell a rat story right now. It was a very simple experiment. He took rats and he put them in a tank of water that were over their head. And he wanted to see how long the rats would tread water. And the average rat treaded water for 15 minutes. And just as the rats were getting ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And the second time, and, and then he put those rats back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time, those rats, on average, treaded water for 60 hours. So think about that. 15 minutes, that's all I can do. I'm not just going to fail. I'm going to die. Yeah. The second time around, 60 hours, which said to me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives. We have to believe that at some point, maybe not this week, maybe not next month, maybe not next year, that things are going to get better in our lives. And the second thing, just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. I mean, I think everybody has a breaking point, but that breaking point for most of us is so much farther down the road than we ever thought it would be. Yeah, I think that's an incredible way to tie into what you were mentioning earlier around sort of if you intentionally seek out challenges or hard things or or do these things that push your limits when life inevitably sort of forces them upon you, you will have many more tools uh, available to you mentally, mentally, right? Tools available towards like, oh, I can push harder. I can keep doing this or whatever else. And I think it's, I think your experience highlighted against that past guest, you know, she hadn't gotten into any of the, the space around developing her her mind until far down the road from sort of her incident. And it sounds like you had a much better sort of background. You already spent a lot of time um, doing some of these practices and having these habits ingrained. And the results are are so incredibly different, like for how uh, you're able to move through. And of course, there's going to be like some negative experiences and emotions associated with anything, you know, this hard or difficult, but the uh, sort of half-life, I guess I'll say, is is so much shorter when you've spent time sort of preparing yourself and building these things up and and having um, built that resilience. So I just think it's it's just a, like a really nice uh, example of the, the the information you shared that highlights how important that is and how big of a difference it can make in outcomes of your life. It can, and and you know my my wife works with a with a man who was a, is a former Navy SEAL. And, you know, the SEALs talk about their 40% rule. And, and these are some of the toughest, they're all men, unfortunately, you know, toughest men in the world that basically say, you know, if you're at the end of your rope, if you think you're done, if you don't think you can go on, you're only at 40% of your maximum wow. and you still have another 60% left to give to yourself. 
So that's what I mean. You know, we all have a breaking point, but I think that breaking point is so much further down the road than we ever give ourselves credit for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, let's let's explore your your third truth a little bit more. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of others. Is that like leaving a legacy? What like what do you mean by that? I, I think that's that's exactly what mm-hmm. that means. You know, I have friends who still, you know, read the obituary section either in the newspaper or online every day for two reasons. One, to keep themselves humble, and two, to have have them realize that you know, someday somebody's going to be reading their obituary. I mean, I think it's important for all of us in life to, to, you know, whether we're just starting out, whether it's middle age, whether we're coming to the end of the road, to think about the end game of our lives. You know, what are people going to say about us at our funeral? What do we want people to say about us at our funeral? When, when I had my leg amputated and I found out I had these tumors in my lungs that I'm being treated for, I went to the cemetery with my wife and, and the cemetery, the mortuary, the, um, the church, and I planned my funeral. And I actually got some brushback from people who were telling me that in some way that was somehow defeatist. And I, I kind of had to tell them, it's like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. Don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. Every one of us is going to die, but not every one of us is really going to live. And I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that I absolutely love. And it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. You know, and don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to hasten my demise in any way. But death isn't nearly as scary for me because I believe I found the purpose for which I was put on this earth to do. And I live that. And as a result, I'm going to leave a positive legacy on this world. So in regards to legacy, as I sort of think about that a little bit, you know, um, there's sort of a vision, an idea, right? This, This hope of like, this is what I want to leave behind. I'd be curious what sort of things that you do or think about to make sure that the reality actually maps that, right? Because I could see how you could have like, this is the legacy I want to leave behind. And then you end up with sort of a disconnect where the actual legacy you leave behind is not quite that. So curious if you have any like strategies or tools or anything that you use to sort of ground what you're doing against what you hope to have done. I don't know if I have any strategies. I I guess at this point in my life, as, as I am in all honesty, probably coming to the end of my life with, with this cancer journey, is that I just want to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much inspiration, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can. And so I, I think a lot to do with how you treat other people, how you set an example of how you want your life to be. You know, are you a person of good character? Are you humble? You know, I, I I am, you know, nobody's going to name a street after me or a building or, you know, erect a statue unless pigeons need another place to, you know, to to roost or something like that. I mean, and that's okay. You know, and people have asked me, how do you want to be remembered? I don't care about being remembered. What I care about is treating the people in my sphere of influence the very best I possibly can. And if I do that, I'll let the chips fall where they may. Mm -hmm. I actually love the way that you just described that with not caring how you're remembered specifically, because I feel like a lot of times when 
Um, you know, this is thinking about your legacy and whatnot is something that people commonly do to sort of try to, you know, get their lives in into sort of a path. And I think you can get anchored way too hard on that piece. And what you're saying is sort of just like going internal and 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 doing the best that you can to exhibit sort of those traits is a way more useful way to think about that. So I just wanted to highlight that. I, I think that's a, a really useful piece of information for people to think about. Yeah. Let's let's um explore this last one though. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. I love this because, you know, as a doctor who helps people with their nutrition and their lifestyle, and it's like so human nature to fall off the wagon with like eating healthy and clean. And I'm like, that's okay. It happens because sometimes people get defeated and they don't, they're like, well, why bother if I'm just gonna like yeah. And I'm like, no, that's part of the process is to get back on the wagon and keep going because it's, it's a lifelong journey. And it, it's, it takes like exercising the muscle of getting back on. <laughs> Paul, right. But, yeah. but as you both know, I mean, we're, we live in a society you want that wants instant gratification. You know, oh, I absolutely. want it and I want it right now. And yeah. I think that that truth is, is rather self-explanatory. And and the way that truth resonates with me is this. Someday my pain is going to end. You know, it may end through surgery. It may end through some type of new medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. Mm -hmm. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, then pain will always be a part of my life. So I, again, th that's that's more of a sort of esoteric or kind of, you know, you, it, it's, it's in the mind. And, and quitting... There's a difference between losing and being a loser. You know, you can be, you can lose on the scoreboard, but you're not really a loser until you start blaming somebody else. And I, I love the Nelson Mandela quote that, you know, he was the president of, uh, of South Africa for a while. And, and he said, you know, I never lose. I either learn or I win. So if you keep that in mind and realize, yes, you're going to fall off the wagon. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. I mean, we're human beings. We're, you know, we're not supermen and, and realize that that's going to happen. And if you do that, as long as you learn something mm -hmm. or you win, you win any way you look at it. It's only when you start, oh, woe is me. You know, this is terrible. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it sucks. Embrace that suck. You made a mistake. Learn from that mistake. Get up and keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting to me. The metaphor that I, I like to use is sometimes I see people doing stuff that is the equivalent of, you know, if you're if you're driving to a destination and you're on the highway and you miss your exit, well, what do you do? You just get on the next, you get off at the next exit and or turn around or whatever you need to do. But a lot of times what you see people do is intentionally skip the next 20 exits and just cruise down the highway. And it's, uh, when I think about it that way, like that personally has helped me in times where I'm like, oh, I'm just going to give up. And then it's like, am I just going to cruise down the next 20 exits for no reason? What am I doing? Like I'm getting off at the next one and getting back on. Yeah. Quitting is easy. I, I mean, it's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly easy, you know, and, and, and I think we're great, at least here in the United States of, you know, we'll start down the road towards a goal and then we'll, we'll butt up against an impediment. Something will get in our way and we can't get over it or around it or through it. And we quit, but we just don't quit. Now we got to blame somebody, you know, and people were always, you know, they would be like, well, who do you blame because you got cancer? I'm like, what, what do you mean? Who do I blame? Well, you have to blame somebody, you know, blame your parents or something like that. Like, no, I don't blame anybody. And, and then they find out I have a faith life. Like, well, you must blame God. I'm like, no, 
I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't think that <laughs> at all. But, you know, it, it's these people that, you know, I want it and I want it immediately. And if I don't get it, then I'm going to take my toys and leave the sandbox. You know, failure is a huge part of success. I, I, I've never met anybody who's, who we would consider successful who hasn't failed along the way. So learn from that failure. Great, great life lessons and super, super valuable truths that we could all live by. Thank you so much, Terry, for joining us today. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug before we wrap up for the day? Sure. I, I have a book that I, I mentioned I, I wrote in 2020 called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. You can get the book on Amazon, Barnes, and pretty much anywhere you, you can get a book online. I've also recently developed a membership off of that book. Uh, if you go to sustainableexcellencemembership.com, you can download a free copy of the book. Awesome. Awesome. We will put links where you can access that down in the description below. So check that out. And thank you again for, for joining us, Terry. <laughs> thank you both for having me. I enjoy talking with you. Of course, of course, yes. And thank you everyone for tuning in this week. We appreciate you. And if you appreciate us, be sure to like, subscribe, share all the things that help spread happiness in the world. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Happy Talks with Dr. Allison Donovan. We hope you got something of value to help bring a little more happiness into your life. What lesson or takeaway did you get from today's episode? For more tips and tools, be sure to check out my website at dralicefong.com and you can find me on my social media handles at dralicefong. You can find me at howtohappy.com and follow me on my social media handles at howtohappy. Catch, Catch you next, you next time. time.